Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more.
What a great song. That was an amazing song. It's called Algiers. Um, welcome to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And today I have a special guest with me, Al Satterway. Um, He's been on my show quite a few times. He's done quite a few amazing books on different subjects. And today we're going to be talking about his latest project, which is also on Kickstarter right now, which is the comeback of Muhammad Ali. He had done the Titan book before and recently did a book on Hunter Thompson and the racers and a few other really cool things. Um, I have Al in the studio with us right now. Um, Welcome to the show, Al. (laughs) Oh, thank you. How are you, Holly? Yeah, and the chat room's open, guys. If you want to go in there, if you want to call in, talk to Al or myself. It's 347-677-1036. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, your book that you just came out with or you're going to be coming out with and the project you're working on. Well, if I get the funding uh, and we're getting close, um, it'll be a 104-page yeah. book of photography on Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I photographed him uh, extensively in 1970 and 1971 after he had come off of his four-year suspension from boxing for resisting the draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, his first fight was uh, in Atlanta in, in 1970. And then uh, in 1971, he had a, a big fight in Madison Square Garden. So I lived down in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, which is about an hour north of Miami. And where mm-hmm. he trained was at the Fifth Street Gym in Miami Beach. Uh, no longer exists, but it was kind of a typical second floor Big windows, open space, boxing rink set up. Mm-hmm. You know, smelled like um, <laughs> dirty sneakers. <laughs> and yeah, I um, yeah, in those days, I think they were charging a buck for the regular anybody who wanted to go up and watch. You know, and so there, there'd be mm-hmm. anywhere from six or eight people to on a couple of days, maybe twenty-eight or thirty people. Plus, there'd always be sports writers, and there'd be a few photographers uh, in and out. Uh, Since I was there a longer period of time, I kind of got to see everybody. But we had, uh, I had full reign of the place. Um, I I got down there because um, I had magazine assignments from various magazines like Time and Life and Newsweek and Perry Match and Bunta in Europe, who each wanted uh, a day here, a day there of uh, covering Ali, getting in shape. So it'd basically be him working out, uh, talking with the sports writers. Uh, he he lived in the area, so he, he'd wander around the neighborhood or go to lunch or ride around the limousine going somewhere. And, and I kind of was with him most of the time. And it was it was pretty laid back. There were no handlers. It would sometimes be just him and I or him and I and a, one of his um, uh, trainers. So, uh, you know, he got used to me really quick, didn't pay any attention to me, which is great because, you know, then you can just sort of hang back and wait for those really good moments. And and he was very natural. He didn't play the camera. So I have some Uh fabulous images. And I shot over over the two-year period, I shot around 55 rolls of film in those days, 36 exposures per roll. So I, I have a lot of images to pick from. And I I ended up editing and scanning about 600 images, and then I cut those down to about 200. So oh out of the God. 200, which are really prime, uh, we'll we'll 
fit those into the 104 pages we have. A lot of them will be full page or maybe double page spread and where the designer feels it works. You know, we may have more than one picture on a page. So it'll be designed by the same guy who did my uh, Hunter Thompson book, who he's an excellent designer. And um, it's all black and white. I didn't shoot any color on uh, Ali because there were no requests in those days. And I actually mm -hmm. prefer black and white. It's just a great film to work on, which, although it's still around, it's not the same film anymore. Plus, we're all shooting digital. So mm -hmm. the times, they are a change. In... Yeah, they are. Totally. Are you kidding me? I mean, you come from a very extensive photo photography background. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about, you mentioned some of the magazines that you worked with. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and where you came from? Because you are such a fascinating person, and your background is quite extensive and one to be proud of. So um, why don't you tell our listeners who you are, and again, if you'd like to, Join us in the chat room. Feel free to, and if you want to call in, have any questions for myself or Al, three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. The show will be in iTunes afterwards and on demand. So back to you, Al. What? Um, tell our listeners a little bit about who Al Satterwhite is, because you're quite fascinating. Well, I'm glad you done think some so. fun things in your lifetime. I'll tell you. Um, it, yeah, um, it's it's been fun. I mean, I I stumbled into photography in high school really quick, mm -hmm. uh, working for the the local the school paper in the school yearbook. But I ended up uh, by the time I was 16 and a junior in high school, I I was working uh, part time down at the newspaper, which was the St. Pete Times in Florida which was a mm -hmm. pretty large paper, covered most of Florida, and especially the West Coast, and it had 12 or 13 prize-winning photographers. The newspaper had won a Pulitzer and a Robert F. Kennedy Award, so it was a really good paper to learn on. And these are the guys I learned from because I would trail around after them, carry equipment, ask them questions, do anything. But you know, by the time I got into college, um, which I started out to study aerospace engineering, I'm not sure why, but in the summers, I would, I'd work full time for the newspaper, which is just the the best learning place you could ever be for photography. Sure. Because we we do ten, twelve assignments a day. But after my first year at the University of Florida, I realized uh, aerospace was not really what I wanted. I would I wanted to be a photographer, so I dropped out after the first trimester, went back to St. Pete, and went to junior college for a year to kind of figure out where to go. And then the following year, I went out to the University of Missouri, which was the photojournalism school at the time. It's still big in photojournalism. And uh, I, I stayed a year, and you know, because I spent all my time shooting, um, my grades were <laughs> pretty pedestrian. And they kind of asked me to leave, so I went back to the University of Florida and begged and pleaded to let me in. They had a journalism school, but no, no photojournalism. And I lasted mm -hmm. a year there, and I finally went back to St. PJC. And you know, after five years of hard work, I got an AA. But uh, I didn't really care. I mean, I was I was pretty well uh, trained, I guess, or learned or skilled by that time. And um, I went to work full time for the newspaper, which lasted about eight months because I knew I didn't want to be a full time newspaper photographer. Uh, got lucky and landed a job uh, for 13 months as the pr 
personal photographer to the governor of Florida, who wow. happened to be running for vice president at the time, meaning he was oh, courting wow. all the candidates like mm-hmm. Nixon and Rockefeller and Humphrey and, I mean, everybody that we could think of. But So basically it was an interesting year because I lived in a Learjet for most of it because we just uh, went yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. The photography was mostly pedestrian, although I did get a few places where I could shoot some good stuff. But uh, after a year, I decided politics was not my bailiwick, nor did I mm-hmm. want to spend any time. So I quit. I found an agency in New York, Camera 5, which was really hot back in the early, well, this would have been the late 60s, early 70s. And they no longer exist. But they were instrumental in, in uh, my career also because I lived in Florida. They were in New York. They knew all the magazines. So I would feed them ideas, and they would feed me assignments. So, um, you know, I worked for everybody. I mean, there, there, there probably isn't a magazine then that I haven't worked for, and I've had covers on a lot of them. I've had a couple of covers on Sports Illustrated, Newsweek, uh, missed out a couple on Life, et cetera. But it was great. Great time to shoot because they traveled us. There weren't that many photographers that they trusted, so they would fly us mm-hmm. everywhere. And, um, I mean, that's changed now. They just find somebody locally, which makes a lot more sense. And there's a lot more uh, photographers that are knowledgeable that they can hire locally. But they're not even as thick as they are. I mean, I used to do, you know, at least one assignment okay, a week for Time or Newsweek. The eye that a seasoned person that would take a photograph like yourself that, that knows the art and knows the thing, I think that they could get some good shots. And I understand about hiring locally, but I really think that we need to really look for the best in all. And I know that your work, I know your work, and I've seen a lot of it, and I think it's amazing. So, yeah, I hear you on that one. Well, it goes back to the photo editors. You know, the photo editors Mm -hmm. are are the people that, you know, usually hire, well, somebody under the photo editors hire the photographers, but they're the ones who see the work come in, and they they know who's who's who and who does what. Mm -hmm. And in those days, you know, they could, like, hey, call call Al in Florida, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, let's send Al here, because I would shoot all over the southeast, and... I mean, once I got a call on, um, I don't know what day of the week it was, but it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All the banks were closed because they closed at 2 o'clock in those days. Uh-huh. And uh, they basically said, can you be in L.A. tomorrow at 6 a.m. in the morning? And I went, sure. <laughs> so they said, pack for two weeks, and it's cold. And I ended oh, wow. up in the lobby of the Roosevelt Hotel in L.A. trying to stay awake, and, you know, oh, wow. from the time I got in yeah. until about 6. And I ended up on the uh, Bob Hope Christmas tour of 1972. Oh, wow. Amazing thing. Yeah, so, you know, it was always different. Well, yeah, I'm in the book that Bob wrote. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see that. I did not see that. Well, that must have been such an amazing experience, the people you met and worked with, especially. Well, well, it was was different. It was different, too, because in those days there weren't that many handlers or PR people. So, you know, I did a story on Tony Curtis once, and it was, you know, they gave me his address, his home phone. I showed up his front door, knocked on the door. He answered it. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, we sh- we shot him and his wife and his kids for the rest of the afternoon. Uh-huh. And uh, there was none of this stuff that goes on nowadays where, you know, they yeah, want a yeah, certain photographer crazy. and they want this and they want that. And, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd be doing that anymore because I was – I walked down on a few assignments when I, you know, had a hard time or couldn't do what I wanted to do because I have ethics and, you know, I had, I didn't want to just sh- shoot something that was going to play into somebody else's game plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually you're working for a magazine and they're trying to illustrate a story, not be a PR company. So mm-hmm. it's different now and not necessarily for no, the better, but you have to it do what different. you do. It's really hard. Like, I can tell you even just with interviews, okay? Thank God most of the people that I have on my show are people that have come to me or people that are personal friends because, or somebody that has been introduced to me so I don't have to go through an agent. I don't have to go through all the stuff that a lot of people have to go through. But every now and then somebody will throw something in there to make it harder, you know, and, uh, you know, it's really sad that we've lost that simplicity of, of innocence that we used to have with a lot of things. Now they make it so much harder. It's like you have to work so much harder to get something so, that was so simple and beautiful and, and and easy to do at one time in our life. Now they just make it so much harder, and I don't know why. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to be creative or everybody wants to have something in the game. And uh-huh. and I found this out when I, I, I moved out of magazine photography in, uh, like, 1980. I moved to New York City and opened a production company to shoot advertising for, like, the next 12 mm-hmm. years. And it wasn't yeah. creative, but, I mean, it was certainly lucrative. But, you know, you would have to deal with with the ad agency and the art directors and the creative directors and the account executives and the clients. And, I mean, sometimes I'd uh-huh. have two account guys, an, an art director, a creative director, and maybe somebody else from the agency on a location shoot with me. Uh-huh. And and I might have a crew of, like, six or eight people. So, you know, the the overhead is enormous. But yeah. it's not creative because they've spent all these months in meetings with a client trying to figure out what they want to do, and he couldn't, de- he couldn't deviate it from out, it. Correct me if I'm wrong. When they actually go to do it, the whole magic of why you're doing it is really gone. Oh, it is, because yeah. I mean, there's so much work. There have been cases where I said, this will be a great shot. And they went, well, we can't do that because that's not in the layout. So you just shut up and do what they want. You know, you're basically a hired gun. So, I mean, that's why I left after 12 years, because I just couldn't take it anymore. I don't blame you. Mm -hmm. So now it's a bit of potpourri. I shoot shoot an occasional film or a short uh, as a DP, and I basically spend a lot of time working on my books or I have several projects in the works, uh, which I'm actively what, shooting. What, what projects are you doing right now? Um, well, I'm working on a series I started several years ago called Around, like Around New York, Around Los Angeles. And they're basically pictures I've shot with fisheye images uh, or, or fisheye lenses, which they're round because they see 180 degrees. And they're difficult to use to get a really good image. So um, I've done New York, and I've kind of finished L.A., although I've finished editing it. And we're off to 
Uh, next month, we're off to Paris, Venice, and Rome to work on those three books. Oh, wow. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's expensive, and I haven't found a publisher for it yet. But, you know, I have no doubt that I will somewhere. Um, I mean, I was it's been a busy summer. I had two museum shows this year, one uh, one at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art in Fort mm-hmm. Wayne, Indiana, and one at the Smithsonian in uh, D.C., part of the American Cool Show. Which was fun. I mean, you know, you don't make any money, but you certainly get some uh, acknowledgement that, you know, you might take good pictures. (laughs) You take that more than just good pictures, Al. I want to talk about Hunter Thompson book because that book was just, like, amazing, as well as The Racers. That was amazing. Well, that was, again, that was a prior magazine assignment for Playboy to shoot the uh, shoot Hunter at the Playboy interview, which we did in Mexico in Cozumel. Mm-hmm. And Hunter and I were friends at the time, so it was easy. Again, he was, you know, not playing to the camera, and mm-hmm. I could shoot a lot of pictures, and I didn't have a lot of time. I was only there a week. Um, yeah. And he, he used to visit me in Florida. Well, actually, he'd come down to cover Nixon, but he, he'd call me, and I'd end up down there. He'd come up to Palm Beach for dinner. Um, and I'm sorry I never carried a camera, you know, because he was yeah. my friend. I should have brought a camera and shot him all the time. That's what, that's the one good thing about having a phone today. You can take pictures instantly. Yeah. Pretty much you always got your phone with you, right? But. Yeah, well, the I only, the only trouble. Frustration. Dad, I wish I had had my camera. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, a lot of times I don't carry a camera, or and didn't then because you know if I have a camera, I'm kind of in a mindset to shoot, so yeah. you can't be headed to somewhere because you're busy looking for images uh, and usually walking around somewhere, which takes time and. You know, you kind of have to get into the to the uh, into the mood, into the mode, and you know, be interested in doing what you're doing. Because it, it's dinner with Hunter Thompson was a trip, huh? So what? How did that? What? How did that end up becoming the book? You were talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a story in the book about you know we closed a restaurant out in uh, in Palm Beach late one night. Well, actually early in the morning. I think it was around one o'clock. Um, so if people are interested, they should buy the book, which is still available. You can go to my website, or uh-huh. it's um, at a few galleries in L.A. and New York. You won't find it at Barnes & Noble yet, but maybe. Because it's a limited production, as is the Muhammad Ali book. I only print about 1,000 books in China. They're really high quality. They're as good or better than any photo book you'll find in Barnes & Noble or elsewhere. And they're well laid out, well designed. Uh, I usually do a trade book, so it's affordable. And then I do a slipcase, which is a little more expensive, and then a clamshell, which is even more expensive because I put a couple of prints in it um, that are usually signed. Um, And the the slipcase and the clamshell books are all numbered and signed. So there's, in the Ali, there's only going to be, I think, five, I think it's 500 total, which uh-huh. isn't a lot. So, you know, if you collect photography or you collect books, collecting books is a lot cheaper than collecting prints because my prints sell for like they start at $1,000 and go up. 
where you could oh. buy a book and get two eight by ten prints for five hundred dollars, you you know you've got a smaller investment. It just depends on yeah, what know, you want to do. And I know that you were offering the resource on um, uh, as an iBook as well, right? Uh, yeah, we just put the Hunter Thompson book up on iTunes, so it's available as an iBook for I'm not sure how much. I think eleven dollars. And it's the same book, uh, same layout as the print book, uh-huh. but it's all digital. And it's it's only for the iPad. I only do books for the iPad because they, as far as I know, they're the only ones who have a locked layout. So the layout looks uh-huh. exactly the way I want it to look, where right. the and the others will shift around because of the, the type shifts. Since I do a lot of uh, two-page spreads, I don't want a big three-inch white gutter in the middle of them. Sure, no, I can I can imagine that. Um, so on this book that you're doing about with the Muhammad Ali, the comeback, um, tell us a little bit about that besides just the pictures. Some of the pictures are going to be ones that you had never shown of the early years, and I know that you said you edited a bunch of contact sheets. You tr- yeah, I've you gone through all 200 I've, images I've gone from them. I've gone through 55 contact sheets and, and wow. scanned what I liked, which was about 600 images. And then out of that, you know, once you get them scanned and make work prints, uh, you know, I cut it down to about 200 that I really like. And now that 200, then we kind of decide what looks good in the layout. You know, and if you if you go to the uh, Kickstarter uh, Muhammad Ali page, I, I put up. Yeah. I know it's somewhere like about twelve awesome. samples. Amazing. So so they're pretty good and they're full frame. Um I mean you can tell because on the edge there'll be uh the file out marks that I did on my various camera bodies. Uh-huh. Um but the image quality will be fantastic. Um they're all printed from my digital files and my digital files. I spend a lot of time on to make them really, really good. Maximum shadow and detail. And there's but only a limited number of copies that are going to be um, signed and stuff, right? How much? Is yeah, there'll, there'll only be about 500. Pardon mm-hmm. me? Let's talk about your Kickstarter campaign and how people can get involved and get a copy of this really exclusive book. Well, all they have to do is go to Kickstarter and uh, mm-hmm. search for Muhammad Ali, and it'll come up. It's called the Comeback. Okay. And Muhammad the project, Ali's Comeback. Right. Okay. And then um, you'll you'll be able to see uh, a short video, which <laughs> I hate being in videos. I much prefer to be I behind video videos. Video. But then Great. you'll see um, various pictures of uh, Muhammad Ali that I took. On uh, okay. some of just him and some with his trainers and uh, just a sampling of what the book's going to look like. So the the pictures are going to be really cool. And uh, one of his daughters, Miriam, said that she would be happy to write an afterword for me. Oh, really? I mean, she That's obviously, nice. she wasn't born when I shot these, but she certainly uh-huh. knows what's gone on since then. So I thought that would be most appropriate. You know, what I think is really important to talk about is what one of the stories that you told on your Kickstarter page about the house and about the house for sale and you and he in the limo that you were, that you yeah. told. Yeah, that was talk fun. I mean, that 
That's well, one day cool. we were one day we were in the limo, and um, uh-huh. I was usually sitting in the floor facing the back, so I could shoot pictures of Ali. And um, he must have been house hunting or something because he he had the limo pull over, and he looked at me and he said, "Hey, run up there and ask him how much they want." I mean, they they had a for sale oh, sign out front, but they didn't have a price on it. And I said, you know, I have all these cameras on me because I usually work with about four or five camera bodies. And I said, why me? And he looks at me and he says, because you're the only white guy in the car. And at that time in Florida, you got to realize it's, you know, there's still a lot of racial prejudice, segregation kind of stuff going on. So, you know, I took off my cameras, got out of the car, went up and knocked on the door and asked the person and you know, they're kind of looking over my shoulder like, who's in the limo? And I said, eh, just an interested party. So they gave me a price, and I went back, hopped in the car, and <laughs> told them, and away we went. But, I mean, that was just part of Ali being Ali. I mean, he was just cool and right there, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What, um, you were, you knew a lot about his personal life. As a, as a person, he was a pretty, he was a pretty, Pretty cool guy, wasn't he? Pretty down to earth. Well, yeah. I mean, I I didn't spend a lot of time with him at home. You know, I mean, uh-huh. that wasn't part of the story. But uh-huh. being around him that much, being around anybody that long, you get a real sense real quick of who they are. You know, and some people you can't wait to you know for the assignment to be over and get the hell out of there. But Ali was genuine. He was interesting he was not a bullshitter and he was fun i mean he he just loved to tweak the press you know the writing press because they were always on him like ollie what's your secret you know ollie why and you know he'd come up with those rhymes and he'd say stuff like i'm the prettiest i'm the prettiest you know that the guy i'm fighting he's 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 too ugly to be a winner it should be me and it's like he knew people were gonna were gonna write about it um, and, of course, he was fortunate he could back it up. So he wasn't some guy throwing around a lot of bullshit. And, um, but I'll tell you how smart he is, street smart. A friend of mine, another photographer, uh, Flip Schulke, uh, shot Ali in the early 60s uh, before anybody really – well, when he was Cassius Clay. And he took him out to buy a, buy a shirt one day at the local uh, department store. And they wouldn't let him try it on. And, I mean, Flip was furious because, you know, as a white guy, you don't always realize how the prejudiceness works. But yeah. yeah, but he knew Ali. So another time later, closer around 70, he had a Life magazine assignment to shoot Ali. So he shows up, you know, he and Ali are talking, and he somehow mentions that he's into skin diving. And Flip did a lot of underwater photography. And Ali, right, right without missing a beat, says, well, that's great because I practice underwater in a swimming pool. It's good for building up my muscles. So Flip's like all excited. He calls New York, gets another day assigned from life, comes back the next day with his his diving gear, and they get in a in a swimming pool, and he's got a magnificent picture. I have one on my wall of Ali in his boxing trunks, boxing underwater in a pool. I mean, it's great. Well, the magazine didn't use it, and a couple months later, Flip's talking to Angie, uh, Ali's trainer, and he 
he told Angie about it. He said, yeah, I shot this great picture of Muhammad Ali practicing underwater. You know, I'm pissed off because life didn't use it. And Angie starts laughing, and he says, Ali doesn't practice underwater, and he doesn't swim. And it was just a case of Ali being so fast and so smart, he realized the potential for another another picture, you know, some more publicity. And he jumped on it right away. And it was it just brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. You know, and of course, Flip oh, wasn't great. upset about it. You know, any photographer will take any excuse to take some picture that's great or that's different or that's, you know, got the potential to be different. And that certainly is a different photo. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't have yeah. one because I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm just told I'm fading a little in and out. Am I fading in and out? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Is it better now? Um, yeah, it's a little sporadic. Weird. Yeah, yeah it's strange. Know, I it's... tell everyone there's some changes that are going on with the studio, so I'm sorry about that. But I, I know that you can hear me okay, right? I can, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. That's those are the things that I love to hear the stories about that. I think that that there is just something that's really, really fascinating to me, just the personal things, like the little stories that go along with it. Um, I know there's quite a few people listening because I'm looking at the numbers. We've got a lot of people listening, um, even in the U.K. Jeffrey's listening. My mom's listening, and um, there's a lot of people listening live. So if anyone wants to call in again, we're going to be on for a little bit more. Three four seven six seven seven one zero three six, and again, this is Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio, and today I have special guest Al Satterwhite with his new book, Comeback of Muhammad Ali. So uh, this is very interesting. Um, so when when is your Kickstarter campaign reaching its uh, uh, point of ending? Well, I've got three days to go. It's going to end on Friday around okay. uh, four four o'clock. So I need uh, I need a few more bucks. I'm pretty close. I've got twenty thousand, and I need thirty two. And the reason we need this money is it costs uh, you know it costs about twenty five thousand to do the printing in in Japan. I mean not Japan in China. And then um, I have to pay my designers and writers and other people and shipping and all that other stuff that goes with it. So I make a few dollars on it, but um, I do all the work because basically when the books show up here, I I have to open them up and put the prints in that I've made and uh, like sign all the sheets and everything else that's done. So it's it's pretty labor intensive, and you got to be organized. And uh, the Hunter Thompson book went pretty smooth. Uh, seven pallets showed up here and on a Monday and the following Monday six of them went out on a truck for delivery so I try to do a fast turnaround and get them out because basically they're tying up my two garages (laughs) I don't have any place to store books and my motto is I do not want a garage full of books so um, it's going to be a great book It's going to be a limited edition book because there's only going to be a thousand out there. You're not going to be able to find them in any bookstores unless they somehow sign up and buy a few before the thousand are gone. So check out the Kickstarter at Muhammad Ali, and uh, I could use your support. 
Any yeah, questions? No, I can Any, anything out there? Um, there's a what? Any questions out there? Oh, no. If anybody wants to call in, please call in. I don't know what's going on here. I'm getting this beeping from the studio. It's crazy. Um, the number again to call in is 347-677-1036 if you'd like to call. Um, what I was going to say was uh, I think it's really important that everybody knows how much goes into everything that you do because you do put a lot into it. Um, I'd like to talk about the song that we opened up with. Um, um, Al, is it is it Algiers? The song is that what it's called? Yeah, the song's Algiers off of uh, the Afghan Wigs album, um, Due to the Beast. Um, oh. I heard it, uh, I, I think, last month or a month before last, and uh, I just thought it was great, so I bought it. It is. It's an amazing song. When, when I heard it, I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's a very cool song. So um, we have another song that you chose that you want to end the show with today, which I'd like to talk about. It's called These Blues is Killing Me. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it's just an old blues song by A.C. Reed, and he, it's done really well. It's called These Blues is Killing Me. I, I like a lot of blues. Uh, I know. I like jazz. I whenever like blues. I, I like rock and roll. Whenever I've called the house or I've talked to Valerie or something, she passes by your office, and there's music blaring out of your office, and I'm like, oh, I like that music. Where's that coming from? She goes, Al's office. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if I'm stuck in front of... Like me, I I love music. I I love having music play in the background when I'm doing a show or I'm just doing whatever I'm doing, you know. Um, so that's that's so cool, and I'm really looking forward to this new book that's coming out. And if anybody would like to get um, in touch with you, Al, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Well, they can either check my website, which is alsatterwhite.com, uh, and it has my email on it, or they can email me at al at alsatterwhite.com. Okay, cool. Or they can contact me through the Kickstarter page. Yep. And you know what? If you go to Al's website, you can see all the other books he's done, and um, trust me, they are pretty amazing. Um, I have the Titan book and a couple other different books he's done. And um, they are beautiful, beautiful. And you know, we are we are missing coffee table books anymore because we've gone digital pretty much. And you and I, I think talked about that on our last show about digital versus real books. I mean, because for me, it's like I I love to have a real book in my hand to read, even though it's nice to read it on my iPad or whatever it's still really nice to hold the book and be able to put bookmarks in it or write on it or do whatever you want to do with your own book to put little notes in there. So I think this is really cool. And um, you do a lot of fine art. What's what's in the works besides um, the Muhammad Ali book? What's, what's next for you? Well, we're working on the Around series that I mentioned earlier, um, which involves spending time in particular cities. Um, and I've got another series I'm working on called Undressed Reality, which is that? real interesting. It's uh, basically naked women in various positions that, that I put into a location that I've shot. And it's, uh-huh. it's, it's meant to kind of make you think about what's going on in there. Um, uh-huh. I mean, originally I shot a, a lot of this is, uh, is film. 
like I did this one shot uh, in Cleveland on Anna Report, and they had like in storage they had uh, five mannequins stored in a little case that was open. Uh-huh. And uh, so when we were done, I had my local assistant hire find me a, a model who would pose nude and show up at five o'clock, and we replaced one of the mannequins with her. Uh-huh. And I thought it was a, an interesting picture. I never really did anything with it, and then. I kind of got really interested, and uh, I photographed a director friend of mine who was nine months pregnant. I photographed her in her in her in her kitchen, you know, put some brown paper on the wall and lit it and shot her. And then I masked her out, and I put her into the same mannequin thing opposite the first woman I shot, like a couple of mannequins down. So they're each uh-huh. facing each other. Although you, you're not sure if they can see each other, and you're not sure what's going on, so you know it's a side view of both of them, and it's meant to you look at it and think of your own scenario. You know, are they the same woman? You know, or what? And I mean, I have several things like that. There's another one of a woman in a junkyard looking at a big round mirror, and in the big round mirror is the same woman kneeling naked in in water and it's kind of like they're seeing themselves and what they would like to be actually doing or maybe what their mind is really thinking well it's whatever you want to come up with it's always interesting to stand behind people when you have a show and hear their interpretation of your photo you know because you may not have thought that at all and they kind of bring a new perspective to it and I mean, I I have collected a lot of other photographers' work over the years and have most of other photographers' work hung in my house, not mine, because I have to look at my stuff all day long. But I like to look at their stuff, you know, when I'm not looking at my stuff. (laughs) And a lot of the pictures I have, you know, they're they're interesting things, like what's going on in that picture? Why? so it's it's for me it's always interesting you know even portraits you know you look at an expression and it's like it's interesting and that's how I did Ali you know I tried to wait and capture him when he was it felt like there was an emotion there you know some kind of emotion yeah, whether he was thinking about, or relaxing no, I'm or a photograph <laughs> taken right now let me let me look a certain way yeah it was like you captured a moment that. Well, never and that, it's like it's like Cartier Bresson said years ago when he came out with this phrase the, the decisive moment. There really is a decisive moment, and that that really is the difference between photographers. You know, some are really yeah. good at it. You know, motor drives kind of ruined it because people think they can just hit the button and get everything, and a lot of times they'll get every good in between every good picture, and they'll get six bad shots. You know, motor drives are just winders. You know, you really want to wait for that one great image, you know, and have your timing right so that when you hit the button, you get what you what you thought you saw. You know, because for oh, a yeah, moment, yeah, totally. that mirror is up one. unless you're using a rangefinder. Uh-huh. Well, you're so, talking about all these interesting parts of a camera. I, I am so simple. I, I wanted to take photographs for the longest time, and... I have a camera, but it's not like a, it's not like a professional, it's not a Nikon, um, you know, it's, it's uh, well, it is a Nikon, but it's not a professional one, it's, it's more a, 
um, digital camera, something to take digital pictures, which a lot of people are going digital, but I do that. But I use my phone more than anything else if I've ever taken pictures. And what's really great about phones is when you don't, when you're not using your phone anymore, like if you get a new service or whatever, camera, it's always good on that phone to never forget that. <laughs> well, the phone pictures. That phone is a camera. What? The phone pictures are good for what most people use them for, which is you snap mm-hmm. them and you send them somewhere because they're yeah. fairly low res. They're not going to print very oh. well on 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 photographic uh, or any kind of paper. You know, uh, the problem if you have a camera is you have to you have to use it or you have to know what you're going to do with it. Uh. Um, you know. Or and then the, the the object is to learn something about the different optics. You know, everybody uses a zoom lens now, and I mean, I basically sort of hate zoom lenses because they're somewhat inferior in quality. They're definitely slower, and um, it's too much of a one size fits all. You know, I prefer to work with one or two lenses that are fast, and and I tend to shoot wide open so I can control the focus plane, because that's where I want people to look, you know, like at their eyes or wherever I'm focused. And the problem with digital cameras is because the sensors are so small, everything is in focus, so you you can't really get that effect. It's very difficult to control that. Yeah, I can imagine. um, I mean, that's, that's what we do as professional photographers. You know, we try to interpret the whatever was in front of us and uh, make it interesting for the viewer, you know, and as editorial or photojournalists, you know, you're trying to show something that's, you know, reasonably true. It's, it's not always that easy because sometimes something just outside the frame would make the picture totally different, you know, but you're not going to see it because you weren't there. Yeah. And if the vibe changed in the room, then it would be totally different. Yeah. I totally get that. That's like that's like even in, um it's that's even like if you're in a room and you're doing something and someone walks in the room the whole feeling might change or either becomes better or worse. Sorry about that, I dropped my teacup. <laughs> I I had to have tea today. But um Yeah, no, I can get that. And you know, I have such a great appreciation for what you do because you are so creative in what you do and I think the series you're doing right now when you're going off to Paris, how fun is that? Are you guys, are you both going or are you just going to go by yourself? No, we're both going and and Valerie's got a meeting up in Rotterdam because she's got some business over there too. Amazing. Oh, wow. When are you guys going to Paris? Um, Next month. We'll be there for, uh, I think, nine days in Paris and then four days in Venice and uh, three days in Rome. I've, I've been in Rome not too long ago, so this is kind of a quickie session. Are you session. there for Christmas, or are you just there for Thanksgiving? No, we'll be back. Uh, we're, we're there over Thanksgiving. I'll be back, uh, like, the first week of December. Okay, so where are you guys going to spend Thanksgiving? That's what I want to know. Um, Paris. Oh, my God. That's going to be amazing. Even though they don't celebrate it, could you imagine just, like, having the best food ever? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, personally, I think Italian food's a little bit better than the French. But I like I like them both. There's so much that goes into French food, the intricacy of of the food, and you know I had to talk about food here because food, I love food, and um, I love creating things, so that's really cool. 
that's well, I love the I love the light in Paris. Yeah, it's amazing. The buildings, the cathedrals, the art galleries, the Louvre, the build, just the streets alone and the shops and just the way that it is. Yeah, you're going to have the best time there. You well, the days are going to be short, but normally I spend eight to ten hours a day out on the streets. I mean, as soon as it's dawn, I'm up and out. I bet. I bet there's a lot to shoot out there. A lot of even even down to a, a little kitty cat that's stray that may be running around. Oh yeah, uh, I, I've, I've done that. I've seen some really interesting pictures of like uh, cats and dogs and, and and just the baguettes and the the spice um, uh, markets and stuff that are amazing. I'm very envious. I think that's awesome. You guys are going. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for both of you. That's awesome. I hope you get some really great stuff. So now, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, again, you've given your information out, and I think it's really important that we all check out Al's site because there's a lot that goes into a lot of other things that he's doing besides just the Ali book. There was the other book before this called The Tight Titans, and that book is just like almost like a like it's almost like a pop culture type thing. That book, a lot of people like that book. A lot of people want it. It's very... Yeah, you mean the Hunter Thompson book? Not the Hunter Thompson book. The, the Titan book. The Hunter Thompson, oh. yeah, too. I can see that easy. But Titans is like a cult book. People really like that book. Not, well, there's three, day, three days left on Ali, so don't be bashful. Uh, check it out. Yeah, take a look, sure see what you think. Check it out, and we're gonna um, and we're gonna give that out again. Again, you're on Kickstarter, and just put Muhammad Ali in there, and you'll come up with the project with Al Satterwhite, S A T T E R W H I T E. And Al, I want to thank you so much for being here today. We're gonna end our show with these blues is killing me. Is there anything else you'd like to let anybody know about today? No, I think that's it. I'm really excited about the book, and I hope I get the funding because um, I really want to do it. It's going to be a, uh, it's you know, once you do a book on somebody, it's it's just out there, you know, and yep. 20, 30 years later, somebody can pick it up and look at it and go, wow, that's this amazing. was then. Yeah. I know. I was thinking, I was thinking something the other day that were, like, Somebody told me that there's some issues with snorkeling right now in the in the water. And I can remember back when it was really easy, you just grabbed your goggles and or, or your mask and your and your, you know, snorkel and you just went in the water. We're not gonna be able to do that much longer because there's like all these new um fish and stuff that have migrated there because of all the global stuff that's going on and it's not gonna be that easy to just be able to go and do something like we used to. The world is definitely changing, as you said, the times they are changing, that's for sure. But um I wanna thank you so much for being here again today and make sure to tune in tomorrow guys. I'm going to have Luke Potter on live from the UK and that'll be at two o'clock and um thank you so much y'all for being here today. You're more than welcome. And um, I'll give uh, Valerie a call if she's around. Is she around? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll call her when I can as soon as I get to a phone. So for everybody listening, thank you so much, and make sure to tune in tomorrow to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio to listen to Luke Potter um, live from the U.K. And today, again, show was um, Al Satterwhite with his new book, 
on Muhammad Ali, and you can check it out on iTunes and on Red Velvet Media on Canadian. Thanks, y'all. Have a beautiful day. You too. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.